Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning, if that's okay with you. Since you don't have a say in the matter, I guess it's okay. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, This is like sermon-ish kind of thing, okay? I want to share with you just a few things that's uh, been on my heart and on our elders' hearts and pastors' hearts and just some things that we believe God's leading us in. And and I shared it with the leadership um, about a month ago and was encouraged to do that with you as well because I think you're obviously a huge part uh, of all that's going on and and we desperately um, want your prayers, desire your prayers as well as your participation in what God's doing. To sense not only where he's leading, but also uh, to follow him in the midst of what God is doing in this body of believers, in us, uh, as well as what he wants to do through us. So I want to share a few things with you this morning, and I want to start out by asking a, a simple yet pretty profound question. Who is it that builds the church? You know, that's an amazing thing in our day and age because we ask that and depending on where we ask that, depending on whom we ask that, we get all kinds of different questions. We get all kinds of different answers involved in this. There's all kinds of different philosophies of ministry that are brought to bear in terms of that very specific question, who builds the church? We have some people that say, well, we do. And I would say, well, we're certainly a part of it. If a vacuum cleaner is programmed and designed in order to do what it does, but it's not plugged in, we got a problem, don't we? So clearly the Lord uses us. He wants to use us. But boy, we better have the right starting place. We better start with our walk with the Lord. We better start with our heart attitude towards him. We better start with the recognition that not only does he not need us, but that we're not adequate for these things, that God alone is able to build his church, and he has promised to do that. We get to be a part of what he alone can do. And that's a beautiful privilege. I want to give you a couple verses on this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I'm sure you know this Verse well, I also say to you, this is the Lord speaking to Peter, that you are Peter and upon this rock, and then he makes this statement, I will build what? My church. He's not talking about an organization. He's not talking about, you know, Apple or Microsoft. He's talking about the body of believers, the church, the called out ones, believers who have Come to know Christ who are being transformed and changed. Where Christ is being seen through us. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11. It's a pretty long passage. I'm not going to take time to go through the whole thing because I got a lot to say today. And I got to do it pretty quick. But this passage is really interesting. Corinth was a very carnal church. Constantly fighting bickering. Right? They were always uh, having problems. They were factious, divided. We use in our terminology today, siloed. They even uh, would, would say, well, I'm, I'm of uh, Apollos. I, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. And then the really spiritually mature said, well, we are of Christ. But in the midst of it, the love and the unity and all that stuff didn't seem to be taking place. And as a result, they were facing 
very difficult issues. In fact, Paul calls them fleshly, fleshly, because there was strife and there was jealousy amongst them. And he goes through that, verses 1 through 4, and then in verse 5 he says this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? I love Paul's humility. He recognizes who he is in Christ. He recognizes that Christ is sufficient. He understands what God has declared him to be, but he also very much understands the greatness of God. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now listen, he says, I planted, Apollos watered. And then he makes this statement. But God was causing what? The growth. Now who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's not talking about the people who don't believe coming to know Christ. There are other aspects and other scripture that we could go to for that part of it. Part of it is in Matthew 16 where it says, I will build my church. The Lord's the one that's sovereign over people coming to himself. He's constantly working in every individual's life to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I absolutely believe it doesn't matter where you go on this planet that the Lord is working, whether it's through natural revelation or specifically where he's coming alongside and he wants people to understand who he is. John makes that very clear. He has come to enlighten every man. That means he literally wants to shine the truth of who he is into the heart of every individual on this planet. Man, what a big God we serve. Infinitely capable. Doesn't even task his power to do that. We get to be a part of it. God causes the growth. He's talking to believers. How do we grow in Christ? I want to tell you something. It's not because of of what we do per se. It's because God's the one who is changing us and transforming us. Do we have a part to play in it? Absolutely. We make a decision to say yes to the Lord. This is the one thing that we can do. Believe. That's what the Lord said to the Pharisees. Believe. Trust. Be persuaded. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, this is Paul, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. That was Apollos. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. According to the grace of God, which was given to me according to his calling, according to what the Lord was doing in his life, what the Lord had specifically called to him, uh, him to as, a, as an apostle. But not only that, but as a teacher as well as a preacher. That's in 2 Timothy. According to the grace of God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 19 makes an interesting statement about growth as well. He says, not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Here he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the body of believers. And how does a body of believers grow? We grow with a growth which is from programs, great ideas, Lots of activity? I don't think so. We grow with a growth 
which is from God. Now, folks, that is bedrock, bottom line, absolute truth. We get the privilege of being a part of it. And the question is, are we yielded to the Lord? Are we surrendered to him? Are we saying, Lord, here's our lives. Use them in whatever way you choose. So that God begins to do an inward work, transforming us, conforming us to his image, renewing us in our minds so that we begin to understand how to walk with God, what the will of God is, what the will of God is not. And in the midst of life, we begin to show forth the love of Christ, which we don't even produce, but rather the spirit of God within us produces so that all of those around us begin to recognize that's God at work. And what do they do? Do they glorify us? No, they glorify God because they see what God is doing in us as well as then through us. So let me share with you a few things. How are we helping build up the body of Christ at Hoffentown? I got a PowerPoint. We're going to try to do it where I have control of the clicker because I'm a pastor and I just love control, you know. <laughs> That's gosh dang. Let's see if this thing works, huh? Can I do this? I don't even know which button to push. Wait a minute. Ah, there we go. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, come on, go backwards for me, please. Oh, now I went too far. <laughs> this is why they normally don't put these things in the hands of a pastor. <laughs> All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about 016, right? I want to talk about it from the standpoint of just refocusing. I, I remember, you remember Ed Gosen? Uh, he went to Uganda a few years back. He got up and he gave a testimony, and I'll never forget his testimony. Because he used a particular word that I thought was absolutely fantastic. He stood up here and he said, you know what? God took me on this trip. And he said, while I was on this trip, he said, I had to think about my life. And my life needed to be recalibrated. And when I heard that, I went, wow. That is pretty priceless. God's doing a work in his life and God was recalibrating him in terms of what are his, uh, all his priorities and why is he doing what he's doing? Folks, I, I think God is recalibrating us, if I could put it that way. And I think we've got to learn to walk with the Lord in such a way that he is free to do whatever he chooses and we know that whatever he chooses to do is what? It's good. And we can trust him with it. We can trust him with it. So let's walk through this. I'm just calling it Mission Refocus. And I want to ask this question. What are we doing? How is God using us in order to build up the body of believers at Hoffmantown? Ephesians chapter 4, you know this well. And this passage is phenomenal. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. How do we equip the saints? With the word of God. With the word of God. And what happens? When the saints are equipped, what happens? The work of service begins to take place to the building up of the body of Christ. And if you go on in that passage, one of the things that he makes very clear is that the body begins to build itself up in love. Why? Because the body is correctly related to the head who is Christ himself. See, when we're as a body correctly related to Christ, individually and corporately, then God will begin to use each and every one of us within the gifting that he has called us into and all the different service activities, and it will be used for the building up of the body. It will be used for the building up of one another. 
And we will have value in that in the sense that we, there, there's tremendous excitement and joy in the midst of following God and experiencing what he alone is able to do in and through our lives. We'll begin to put others first. Their needs come first. And we'll put ourselves secondary to that. Love will begin to be produced in and through our lives. We'll begin to have the opportunity to serve one another. And guess what happens? Because the church is God's program to reveal himself to the world. People out there begin to recognize what God's doing here in each and every one of our hearts. And they know it's not just a program. They know it's not just religion. They recognize that it's something different and unique because no man could come up with it or even accomplish it. They begin to see the love of God in action. And they go, we want to be a part of that. What have you got that we don't? And it's at that moment that we're able to give an account. We're able to share with them why we have this hope. Because it's Christ. It's Christ in us. Transforming us. Renewing us. Guiding us. Walking with us. So let me give you several things here, okay? in terms of what God's doing and where we're headed. I, I think it's kind of interesting to me. There's all kinds of different discussions that we've had over the last few years, and um, some of them tough ones. Some of them have been uh, uh, difficult from the standpoint that, that we just got to be honest with ourselves and what God's doing here. Um, and so a lot of people have talked about Hoffentown dying. Well, we're a dying church. Now, I think that's nonsense, personally, And I appreciate all of you because when I come here on Sunday mornings, I don't see this being dying. I see this being living, vibrant, healthy, worshiping, and I praise God for it. Amen. Now, if, if, look, I'm going to say some things and forgive me because I'm passionate about this stuff. Part of me has got a little bit of anger in it because there's some unbiblical things here that have really driven me a little bit nutty over the last five years. But I'm, I'm going to pray that the Lord through me just tempers me and you listen with Holy Spirit uh, attuned ears and you filter out Eric Christensen and hopefully you listen to what the, the Holy Spirit has to say through me this morning. Okay, you do that. One of the most common factors in a declining church is an inward focus. I think there's no question about that. Why? Because all, it becomes all about us. Myopically focused. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> Instead of how great God is, how great God is, how great God is. What is God doing? What is God doing? Where is he at work? So we suddenly become so focused on ourselves that it it becomes a little bit strange. It can be harmful. We can actually begin to decline as a result of that. There's several things that Tom Rainier puts out here, and I'm just throwing this at you. I I could have, there's so much information about this. This isn't just Hoffentown, folks. This is the whole country is going through some of these things. All the churches. When I get with pastors, I hear this over and over and over again. We just had an admin retreat where I, I helped speak, and David and Ruth came in, and my wife was there, and Susan was the one that helped set it up. We had admins from all over the country. And I want to tell you something. These are some of the largest churches in the country, and these admins are listening attentively to what we have to say because they're going through this stuff too. Their churches are, and they absolutely know it. So it's not just us. I, I don't want to make it that way. It's all of us. Some of the things that declining churches do, very few attempts to minister to those in the community. 
Right? You, you could see that. And I, I thank God for all of you. I want to tell you something. This Earlier this year, when we had all of you stand that are helping serve, man, that blessed me. I hope it blessed you. Because so many are being used of the Lord in so many different ways. Praise God for that. That's of him. Uh, we don't have church business meetings. This is just what they wrote. We, we do congregational meetings Because we really do, as elders, want to make sure that we're hearing from the Lord and we want you to understand why we're coming to certain conclusions and how the Lord is leading us. And we want to hear from you as to what God is saying to you. Because we believe this isn't a top-down thing. This is a together-with thing. And it's all about the Lord. It's where is the Lord leading and guiding and discerning that carefully to make sure that we are walking with him step-by-step But you can see how a church in decline is suddenly becoming argumentative over preferences and desires, right? Or or you can see uh, in many ways where numbers of members in the congregation are openly critical of the pastor, other church staff, lay leaders within the church. All of a sudden there's criticism all over the place because everybody's frustrated about what's going on. And in the midst of it, when people get frustrated, they get fearful, when people don't think that they, they have a clear picture of where we're going, all of a sudden it's kind of like getting in the car and, and saying, hey, we're going to go on about a 10-hour drive. And the next question is, well, how are we going to get there? And you say, well, we don't know. How do you respond to that? I don't respond to that very well. I go, come on, pull it up on Google Maps. I've learned at least that much. Let's figure this out. phenomenal. Any change necessary to becoming a great commission church is met with anger and resistance. You know, that's a phenomenal thing. Because listen, I want you to understand my heart and our pastor's hearts, our elders' hearts, we, programs, I love programs. I'm not against programs, but what I am for more than anything else is where is God leading? And I want to make sure we follow him no matter what he tells us to do, because I trust that he knows better how to do this than I do or anybody else. We've got to make sure that we are rightly related with the Lord from our hearts and as a church body in order to follow him. And when change hits, I get it. It's not easy. I understand that. In the midst of it, let's trust the Lord because he knows what to do better than us. So those are, those are some things that take place in terms of a great commission churches and, and what we need to do in terms of where we're headed and what God's doing. But I think this one's really an interesting one. And folks, if the shoe fits, wear it. And I'm going to say it as your pastor. When the past becomes the hero, we got a real problem. we got a real problem. When we start looking backwards and what we ought to be today because of what we were yesteryear, I think we got a problem. I'm not saying we don't celebrate the past. I loved our 60th anniversary, thank God, for the past. But we don't get stuck in it. And we start moving forward with what God wants us to do. And we don't stay in the past. We want new stories. We want God's stories. We want stories of God's faithfulness today, not just what happened X amount of years ago. That's what we ought to be focused on. Culture is seen as an enemy. We get fearful about it rather than an opportunity. And I didn't, folks, now you understand, right? I didn't write this. 
Okay, this is just observation stuff that Tom Rainier put out. Pastors and other leaders in the church become discouraged, withdraw from effective leadership. I want to tell you something. I've seen that very, very, oh, in many different ways. I came up with the term hawk crying in the wilderness. You, you know what I'm talking about? Everything's silent. You hear the hawk way up somewhere. And you know, when we'd sit around and we'd start praying and we'd start having discussions and I'd throw out a question, just nothing. And it's not because there weren't ideas. It's because there was fear. There was fear. And I thank God that the Lord has brought us through some of those things. And today, we've got a pastor group, a pastor team. We throw out ideas. Boy, they're serving. They want to know what, the, what does the Lord have for us in this. They want to help one another, serve one another. It's phenomenal. When fear hits and people are discouraged, they don't know where we're going and how we're getting there and all that. And all of a sudden, we become so focused on ourselves. Man, it's, it's amazing how people don't want to step out. Because they're worried about getting hit for it, blamed for it. Man, this thing keeps turning off on me. I could spend a lot of time on that slide, but you probably... (laughs) There. Okay. Seeker friendly. You've heard this term, right? And I put it this way. uh, The philosophy of the church, though sincere... Uh, This seeker-friendly mindset has shaken an otherwise historically solid foundation. Now, folks, I want you to hear me on this. I'm not saying that everything the seeker-friendly movement stands for is bad. There's been a lot of people saved and brought to Christ, and the Lord is faithful, and praise the Lord for it. But I want to tell you what it's done. It's undercut discipleship. And when you undercut discipleship, what that does, it, it puts into play a poison pill that down the road suddenly comes to fruition. Now, there's no question about that. And I want to show you several things on this because I think there's some things here that have been redefined that churches all across America are struggling with as a result of this. First of all, what's the purpose of a worship service? See, when you have a seeker-friendly mindset, you, you want sermon light in many different ways because you don't want to offend. And so you encourage the body, go and bring somebody to church and the church takes care of the rest. And so it actually is a very strange phenomenon because the evangelistic mindset, though sincere, is actually undercut. Now, you can argue with me that all day long, but I'm telling you, this is reality. And we're seeing it in churches everywhere. The defining of health. There's a defining of health with regard to numbers. If we have more people, then that means we're healthier. Folks, show me that in Scripture. Show me it in the word of God. Spiritual maturity, love, is health. How we treat one another is health when it's of God. That's the issue. Now, I will say, I want this place filled to the brim, and I'd love to see ten services, forget about three, because I want people to enjoy what we're enjoying, which is Christ. But we'll trust the Lord with that fruit. And in the meantime, we'll follow him and walk with him and we'll trust him and be patient on his timing because he knows better how to do this than anyone here. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed is it creates a strange kingdom mindset. Because it's based on numbers, all of a sudden it becomes very competitive. It becomes very competitive. 
Oh, sagebrush, look at them. Look at legacy, right? Look at Copper Point. I mean, whatever other church you want to throw out there. And all of a sudden, we get into this competition thing. Instead of right here, focusing on the Lord. And what does the Lord want? Where is God leading us? What is he taking us through so that we can be an encouragement to others? I want to tell you something. We've had people from other churches calling our leaders in order to leave this church and take their entire class with them to that other church. Folks, that is carnal. That is sinful. That is not from God. The defining of faith. What does it mean to follow God? All of a sudden things get all upside down. What does it mean to have a faith walk? What does it mean to walk with the Lord? Willow Creek came up with some phenomenal things. Sorry, I hit this thing too fast. I should have let them do this. Oh, now it's blank. What did it start over? Oh, gosh, now I hit it again. This is fun. I told you this was a little bit of a different morning. Willow Creek came up with uh, two conclusions, and I think this was fascinating because Willow Creek is the grandfather of the seeker-friendly movement. I don't know if you know that or not, but they are the grandfather. And several years ago, they, they took a lot of time in order to walk through the health of their church body. And they had certain conclusions that they had assumed. They assumed that if they would invite somebody in from the community who didn't know Christ and they would get them actively involved in the church body, they assumed that in building the relationship with that individual, even though they didn't want to offend them, they didn't want to necessarily, quote-unquote, preach at them, all that kind of stuff, that that person, after a period of time, namely about three years, would come to know Christ and become a vibrant participant within the body of Christ. Do you know what they found out? That that was absolutely 100% wrong. That's their language, not mine. They came to the conclusion that doing it that way is actually not healthy. Now, in the midst of this, there are two conclusions that they did come to. All right? And the first one, and I'm going to just keep going because we've got time issues. The first one is that the Christ-centered people, the Christ-centered people are the greatest hope for the church. The most mature people in the body of Christ are the greatest hope for the church because they're the ones that are going to evangelize. They're the ones that are going to give. They're the ones that are helping make disciples. They're the ones that are following Christ and they are serving the other people on the path that they're on. That's amazing to me. You know, the second issue here is that the word of God, I kid you not, this was their conclusion, that the word of God is the most essential and valuable spiritual tool for growing somebody in Christ, no matter what maturity level they may be at. Now, folks, think about that. This is from their stuff. The Bible's the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. I think that's incredible. And I think it's essential to understand that. So when you, when you talk about a declining church, you talk about some of the things that have hit us, what are some of the observations made concerning turnaround churches, churches that have stopped decline and that now are turning around and starting to move forward? And I think this is fascinating. This is not a checklist that we looked at and tried to, to uh, model. 
I, I just think this, it's amazing to see what God's doing in this uh, body of believers and how God's the one that's bringing us to some of these conclusions. Are you all taking this over? You want me to? Am I? Okay, sorry. <laughs> that's why I have notes. Because Apple nor Microsoft works very well. Some of you get all over me about Apple, but I can tell you, well, this probably is Apple, isn't it? (laughs) Great. The Peter principle, pull both feet out quickly. One of the overarching leadership principles that uh, they found for turnaround churches when they interviewed the senior pastors of the the top 5% of these churches is that number one, these churches are led by individuals consumed with making disciples. Consumed with it. I want you to understand that myself, our elders, and our pastors are consumed with your growth in Christ. That dominates my mind. How are we as a church body growing in Christ? How are you experiencing God? How are you in the word of God being transformed and renewed by God's word in order to grow in Christ? It absolutely dominates my mind. Because I know that when a body of believers is yielded fully to Christ in every area of their lives, that God through them is going to have a testimony to the world and people are going to recognize that and people are going to come to know Christ as a result. Consumed with it. How do we define discipleship? Well, it's evangelism and equipping. See, what we've done is made discipleship into a class on Wednesday night or maybe something that happens on Sunday morning. Discipleship is the over-encompassing idea The Lord commanded us, make disciples. Make disciples. How does that happen? Well, we're used by the Lord to bring people to the cross. We're also used by the Lord to teach them from the cross. We baptize them and we also teach them. That's discipleship making. The whole thing. It's evangelism and equipping. So there are several practices. I'm putting this thing down because it's apple. (laughs) (laughs) practice one what do they do they get people moving now what does that mean does that mean they get them active they get them no no it means they give them a clear path for discipleship here's here's what you do when you come to our church here's what we want to do to share christ with you next week we have a next step seminar and then from there we want you to get involved in a k group we want you to begin to build friendships have a fellowship within the body of christ practice two and i absolutely love this one they embed the bible in everything In everything. In everything. Because here's the primary question for every one of us. What does God have to say about that? What does God have to say about that? We say, oh, the Lord's leading us over here. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, friend, God's not leading us over there. What does God have to say about that? They create ownership. You know, we we came up with this little phrase, right? Christ-led, elder what? Do you know? Elder guarded, pastor guided. What's the last one? Body engaged. Because folks, you know what? If you're coming here to just sitting in a chair, 
You're not getting the heart of this one. We want you to experience the Lord, just not, not just know something about him. We want you to experience God in everything. And we want you to participate with where God is leading Hoffmantown Church and what God's leading us to do because you're a huge part of this. We're the body of Christ. They pastor their local community. Maybe an example of that would be how we had the police officers come. Just to bless them. Just to bless them. Let them know we love you. We want to encourage you. Right? Several other things they do. They lead the church to become highly intentional about starting new groups. I'm going to run through these. They led the church to a culture of inviting people. Oh, when's the last time you actually invited somebody to come and, and worship here? Or, 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 hey, why don't you come to our K-group? Boy, we want you to know Christ. We want you to learn to follow him. Would you come and, and just listen to the word and build fellowship with one another? And I could go on and on. When's the last time that we prayerfully considered who the Lord has put on our heart to invite us to come to church? We've got the new members class. Major community ministry, God's raising this up. We're seeing that in the middle school that God's called us to come alongside and serve. We're seeing that through the baseball clinic that's taking place at the end of May. All kinds of different things taking place by this. I love this one. They began to pray for the lost and unchurched by name. In other words, you know them. (laughs) If you're praying for them by name, it means you know them. And you're concerned for them. And your heart's broken that they don't know Christ. And they're facing an eternity separated from God. The leaders begin to focus less on negative people and circumstances and more on God's possibilities. I love that. Amen to that. Pray for us in that. Because we want to go where God's going. And we want everybody to experience that along the way. How essential is the word of God in our lives or in the life of our church body? How do we grow in Christ? How are we being used by the Lord in order to help this body grow? First Peter has a great passage, great statement, and I think it's important. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, by the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? How important is the word of God in our lives? How important is the word of God in the life of our church body? I'm gonna throw several things up at you and this is a whole lot of information and to summarize it in this way, let me put it this way. When Willow Creek did their study and when they began to look at their church, they began to, to examine whether their hypothesis of how to do church was correct. They came to the conclusion that it was absolutely wrong. And instead of 80% of all the finances and all the resources going to quote-unquote reach the lost, reach the seeker, they said we ought to flip that. 80% ought to be going towards the, the mature in Christ to challenge them even further to grow in Christ. And then they began to recognize that the word of God, and they use this business term, is the vanilla factor. Now, y'all, if you don't know this by now, you better, I hope you know this, I love chocolate. So this one stabbed me a little bit because I found out that there's a whole lot of you out there who like vanilla a whole lot more than chocolate. And I think that's nuts. (laughs) 
What they're talking about is simply this. When you're looking at business stuff and you're looking at the numbers and you're looking for the product and you're looking for the niche, you want to find the vanilla factor. You want to find the the thing that is so superior to everything else that it's what you cling to, it's what you have, it's, it's what you make sure is a part of everything that you're doing. And you know what the vanilla factor showed up to be? It didn't matter what they compared it to. The vanilla factor is the word of God. In other words, when you talk about the Word of God, the Word of God is so essential to every believer's life, it far outweighs and supersedes church attendance, activities, serving, going on mission trips. If the Word of God is not central in any of this, then all the rest of the activities are stagnated. The word of God is what grows people. The word of God is what leads us into a deeper relationship with the Lord so that missions, so that the heartbeat of what God is all about in terms of how he wants to serve people and how he wants people to come to know him. All of those things take place. Why? Because the word of God is transformational in our lives and it doesn't matter what maturity level you're at. The word of God is the vanilla factor and it's essential. Now they spent millions of dollars to do this. I could have told them this. (laughs) I don't say that arrogantly. I'm glad they came to the conclusions they did. Praise the Lord. I think you could have told them that too. Because I think you know that. That's why you're here. The question that's asked is, is the congregation fully aware of the importance of reflection on Scripture for their spiritual health? And at the end of this particular statement, the lady that wrote this, Callie Parkinson, says, are they aware that no matter where they are on their spiritual journey, that nothing matters more to their spiritual development, including church services, serving activities, small groups, than time spent in God's word? Nothing beats the Bible. Nothing. So let me give you a view towards 2016. And I know I only got four minutes, so by golly, you're going to, it's all right. You know, I get it. If you got to leave, it's okay. We love you. But I think this is important. Because this year, what we're doing is starting to prayerfully consider how God's leading us next year. And what I'd like to do, and I've shared this with you, I want to preach through the Bible in a year, so help me. That's going to be fun. It's a challenge. I get it. But we've got a, a start on this already. And I can't wait. I think there's several things that we want to do in the midst of 016, not just me up here preaching through the Bible, okay? That's great. Amen. We're going to give you a good foundation in it. We want you to be solidified in your understanding of the whole story. I'm so concerned about our communities and the biblical illiteracy that is sabotaging the health of families and our culture, our civilization as we know it. And we've got to make sure that as a body of Christ, we're on the same page on this stuff, and that we understand the big picture. So it's not just me, it's K-group participation. There's shepherd groups that are outreaches into the community to build relationship and, and to help with people's fears. People are so fearful right now. How can we come alongside of them and serve them to assuage that fear? Say, God's sovereign. The Lord's in control. 
door-to-door outreach is all involved in this. You know what I'd love to do, and I, I think this is a challenge, and I'm being challenged in it this year as well, but reading through the Bible in a year together. Right now, we're looking at developing a Hoffmantown app. How many of you have smartphones? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm sure you're lying like a dog. I mean, everybody's got, I don't, I don't know. Most people have smartphones, okay? Because you know why I know that? Because they're not making the other ones anymore. <laughs> so if you've got a cell phone, it's a smartphone, you can get an app. We'd like to get a Hoffmantown app, and on that app, we'd like to have your daily reading and for the whole church to be going through that together, right? We also want to reach out to the community, and I say that under the inspiration and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, because it's not just, hey, why don't you come to Hoffmantown because we're really good for you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is going to them in humility and saying, how can we serve you? Because we're concerned. Because we're seeing what's taking place in our society. We're seeing what God's happen, what's happening all through here. And we're seeing the godlessness that is taking place. We want to serve you. How can we pray for you? How can we share with you our hope? Look, all those things come into this. We want to make sure that every household within a specified radius area around Hoffmantown, maybe even over a three-year period of time, where we go to every household and we simply knock on their door and say, how can we serve you? How can we present Christ to you? What are your needs? How can we share with you the love of Christ? And oh, by the way, if you're looking for a place to fellowship, we consider it an honor to minister to you. Christmas, Easter, two of the greatest times. We've already talked about this. David and I, the story. I don't know if you've ever heard of the story. It's Genesis through Revelation. Savior is basically Genesis to Revelation. We're going to do that. And then I want to see our bodies solidified. I want to see all of us solidified in topics such as creation versus evolution. You know, our kids are getting hammered with this thing. Marriage in the family. Marriage in the family. I mean, good grief, the way that they're trying to redefine marriage today is just flat out sinful. It will not help society. It will tear society down as it already is. The inerrancy of Scripture. Do we really believe that the Word of God is the Word of God? I think that's essential for us to know so that we can begin to share that with others, right? The government's and their God-given roles. What is the government's role? Next year's an election year, folks. It's an important one. Every one of them is important. But I think it's important to understand what does God say about it. What's God's program for the church? What's God's program for Israel? Has the church replaced Israel? What's the biblical view of the end times? So we've already put some of these things in place. Creation, we're going to have a seminar in January. We're working with Noah Webster. We're working with Regis. We're working with Schaefer. We've already invited Hope to be a part of it. Uh, They've responded to that. They're going to bring their Bible classes in order to be a part of this. We're going to talk to Eastern Hills. We've got... All different kinds of schools, Christian schools. Oak Grove is going to be here. We're going to ask them to be a part of it. When we talk about marriage and the family, we're going to do our own thing in February. But then for our discipleship conference in September, Paul Tripp is already uh, set to come, which is going to be phenomenal. 
Our missions conference in April is going to be about apologetics. How do you witness to somebody who's a Muslim? How do you witness to your neighbor? How do you follow God in what it is that he's called us to do in terms of the Great Commission? Our National Christian Heritage Wall Builders is a part of this. In July, they've agreed to come. David Barton wants to be a part of it. It's going to be phenomenal. Excited about that. And we're working on Israel and the church and eschatology towards the end of the year. We've got several task forces. We've got K-group materials, which are going to coincide with my sermons, just to serve the K-groups, to take it to a deeper level. Shepherd groups connected in with the the K-groups to build relationships within the community, door-to-door. There's all kinds of different things that God's leading us in. And let me just real briefly give you a a kind of timeline for this year. April through June, we're just going to work on building teams and and working with our ministry leadership, that that partnering aspect of things. July through September, we're going to begin to pray and plan and, and promote, just to work through what is it that God's leading, what are the ideas, who's, who are the teams, how are we actually going about this. In October, we're going to polish it up. November 15th, I'm going to have the people that are involved in these teams begin to present what God's doing so that you have an understanding of that and we can walk through all the different materials, the seminars that need to be held in order to train people with regard to the shepherd groups, everything. And yes, they're all peas because I'm a pastor, you know. <laughs> and you may not remember it, but it helped me. <laughs> so, that's it. Folks, let me encourage you in something. God's working. God's doing a tremendous thing in and through this body of believers. I can't tell you how many people who have never been here before come up to me and tell me how special this place is that they sensed God in this place. So keep looking up. Keep looking to the Lord. We're going to get through all this stuff, and it's going to be an exciting journey. And let me encourage you in this. Trust the Lord with the results. Trust the Lord with the results. God is sovereign. He's sufficient. He's able. Let's us keep our eyes fixed on him because he's the one in control. He's the one that will build his church and we get to have the privilege of experiencing him in the midst of it. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.